You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Yes, hello everybody and welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian, with me as always, future founder of the American-Canadian-Mexican Super League Soccer Analysis website, Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. You gotta you got add like Costa Rica in there as well. I'm yeah. a big fan of Honduras. Yeah, uh, you want all this. Olympia is going to at least be a solid top 10 team in that type of division. So Where, where are MLS teams going to get outside backs if Herediano is already in the league. Makes that's you think. A, that's a great call. Makes you that's think. A great call. Um, yeah. So, hi. Welcome. We're back. Um, not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, action this week. I think we're on an international break again. Is that right? I guess. Yeah, it's kind of weird because September yeah. has one and then October has one and then November we, has one. Yeah, I thought we just did this, but but here we go again. Um, so, uh, you know, we can, we can take a few minutes to kind of go over the the happenings of this week in Major League Soccer, and there have been a few, uh, not least of which, that thing I just alluded to at the beginning of our broadcast here, um, North American Super League, Harrison, um, you know, it's still in the theoretical stages, but just no it reflection, it, it, hot it take on it for any, me. It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. Um, from the perspective of number one travel, you're not getting, I mean, you have players that come over from Europe and they have to do any type of air flight, it's it's just complex to them. It's frustrating. And then on top of the fact that it's commercial and it's not private. And then furthermore, you're talking about being in an airplane for six, seven, eight hours versus, you know, a bus for two, three. And now you're talking about like going from Mexico to Canada it just it doesn't make any sense. Can you imagine a team going from Mexico to City to Toronto and then from Toronto to Florida and then to Seattle? I mean, it just it just seems mind boggling. Well, here's where I think they'll get around it is the overall expansion goal of Major League Soccer is to have 700 teams, apparently. So I think that you'll just there'll be like a stop every hour you can do and play a match. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. It, it does seem like an idea that takes all of the problems with soccer in the United States and exacerbates it to an almost laughable degree. Uh, just the scope of weather that would be going on in this range. Uh, during, anyway, um, I, I would vote against this uh, if I were allowed, if I were given a vote, if they if they sought my input. Um, but they, not surprisingly, they have not. So I don't think um, it helps CONCACAF as a whole either. Like I, that. I mean, I feel like the more that MLS and, you know, Liga MX grow independent as independent organizations, they help strengthen CONCACAF, which I, I think is a good thing, personally. Um, we can have that conversation on whether or not that's a good thing from a U.S. perspective. Yeah, but, I don't know. Uh, and I think that hopefully with the Canada League, you know, coming about, I, I, I'd really like the Canadian League to be strong and something that would challenge MLS because I feel like that makes MLS a better quality product. I agree. I agree. I think having, um, you know, your own distinct domestic league is probably preferable to this whole Super League idea. It, I, I mean, it would only be to ape 
Europe if Europe did something like it. And then therefore we would have to do something like it because that's how we uh, grow as a soccer league is wait until Europe does it. And then we do, you know, a couple years later. But I, I, don't, I really don't. I, I don't see this being a, an actual but thing that happens. Wouldn't it be great if, like, U.S. domestics had some place to go on loan to that was maybe not a high-quality league, but maybe a league that, you know, isn't redundant like USL? You could get, call up, I don't know, you know, some team in Canada and be like, hey, we each have a problem you need to fill. We need to fill as well. Boom. First yeah. division, you know, playing minutes. Right. I, that, well, that'd just be my dream. I don't know. I, I kind of like the current system of negotiating your own loan move to Louisville City. I think that's working out great. That, that was great. Like, I didn't realize that until Dummy <laughs> mentioned it. Yeah, that that's, was good. That was super good. All right, more concrete news, less speculation. Hey, Harrison, did you hear that San Jose hired a new coach? They what? They hired a new coach. No one has heard that. That must be breaking news, Ian. I know, I know. Uh, believe it or not, San Jose Earthquakes have gone out and done a newsworthy thing, to be sure, hiring Chivas de Guadalajara coach Matias Almeida, um, who is, uh, you know, I guess a respected coach. Like, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like an expert on Liga MX uh, you know, period. <laughs> I was going to specify, but nothing about Liga MX if I had an expert on. Um, but this is this is not Dominic Kinnear. This is not Frank Yallop. This is not like they're not going back into the well again. They're not pulling somebody from this MLS merry-go-round. Like this is definitely going outside and bringing in an exciting coaching candidate. And I, for one, could not be more excited. I, I think it's exciting. A, because he mentions the way of the samurai. I think it's exciting because, uh, you know, because San Jose, despite the fact that there's been numerous amounts of exciting things that have happened in San Jose, this is by far the the most exciting and the pinnacle of all the exciting things that have happened over the last four years. Um, and that'll be the last sarcastic thing I say. Um, no, I think uh, Mateo Salmeida is, is interesting because he is he is a bit of a defensive minded coach which coincides kind of with San Jose's legacy and and really I don't think they they want to divorce from that legacy it's I think you can be a good team and have a defensive approach that being said I think what he does he's adaptive and he has he's shown a good practical ability to discern talent and to leverage that talent into results. I know that sounds like that. I said a lot of things to say one thing. He's a good coach. Uh, but the bottom line is it just, it seems like he does a lot of things that remind me of kind of what San Jose is at its core, but he does them good. Or at least he's shown a propensity for uh, finding positive ways and positive outcomes in the time at Chivas, in the time at River Plate, uh, both uh, of which, both those scenarios, those teams that are highly regarded within their respective leagues were on the very bottom of what they've ever been. So, and he raised them back up. Um, so most people, I think, will, will kind of cite the, the Chivas winning CCL against Toronto. But I mean, you know, how many times did they just completely stranglehold. I mean, look at the result that he got in New York. Seattle was not impressive to me just because Seattle just hit this run of terrible injuries. And 
and I didn't think in Seattle they were all that interesting. The interesting part was when they went to Chivas, and you just completely exposed the frailty, uh, all the all the potential uh, issues that could be had with Seattle. He absolutely just picked them apart. So it, it showed some really interesting aggressiveness uh, that hadn't been kind of seen, at least from an MLS perspective with him. And then on the flip side, he was really practical in just, hey, New York, you haven't been able to break anybody down in the last two years. So we're going to come to your park and uh, you prove me that you've changed. <laughs> and granted, they got really lucky. <laughs> Uh, and if I could emphasize, really, I would. I'd be like, just record it over and over. But at the same time, there is some really thorough uh, tactical thought process that, that went into making sure that they had a solid game plan. And you just have to respect that. You do. You do. Um, you know, I, I, I've said on here a lot of times, I think, maybe too many times, but I, I don't consider myself... I don't know. I don't consider myself qualified enough to speak to a coach's performance. I don't think I know enough about what goes on in that sphere or the specifics of whatever happens in any given locker room. Um, but all I can say is someone that, you know, is, is a, a, a viewer of this league that this is the most buzz I've seen from this franchise in such a long time. And it's just really, really exciting. Um, you know, it kind of culminates with what we've seen, like, uh, you know, some youth players kind of rise to the fore. We've seen, like, Jackson Ewell kind of become a part of things all of a sudden. That looks good for the future. Uh, I've talked about Luis Fernandez on here a lot. Um, you know, uh, Nick Lima, like, they're, they're just, like, this could be a really good confluence for, like, actually having, like, a, a, a significant culture shift in the way that San Jose um, goes about uh, about their business. So I actually have a question for you because I can't figure this out for myself. I, I thought about this a lot today because <laughs> – with Almeida coming to San Jose, um, he has already a really decorated history for being such a young coach. Um, if he were to whatever reason falter, I mean, I feel like he's on a pathway to go and be a successful coach, not just uh, in Argentina, not just in Mexico, not just in the United States, but in good teams in Europe. I feel like kind of that's where his destination is. If he If he doesn't work out in San Jose, how can you say that he's a good i'm kind of phrasing this wrong um when can you say the results weren't good but it's not because of the coach how do you how do you determine that how, how do you divorce the results with the performance of a coach can you i think that's something again that's probably hard for me to do and i think it's something that's really hard for even fans of that club to do um because they're just kind of their relationship with it is is just a little bit different um you know, I think that there get, there comes a time when there's a good sense that a coach and their team have sort of grown apart or that, that they're not really hitting on the same cylinders they were anymore. Um, and I think that that becomes apparent uh, maybe to the front office. I think that becomes apparent to the players. And I think a lot of times that becomes apparent to the coaches themselves. Uh, so it's, it's a really hard call for me to make. It's a really hard call for people that aren't in the locker room, that aren't talking to the players, that aren't kind of there on a daily basis to, to say, um, I, I have to think, given this sort of investment that I assume they would have made so to pry him away from Chivas, um, you know, he's going to get a year or two um, minimum, you know, to, to, to try and turn things around and start getting um, back towards the postseason, I think, before anyone would ever question um, trying to move on from him. Yeah, you say that, but the San Jose general manager, 
um, only has, what, a year left? That's true. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure his contract is a, is a guarantee to be re-signed either. So, um, hmm. Maybe so a year. Maybe a that year. That kind of brings us to Stout of the Week, doesn't it? It does. And this Stout of the Week comes to us from Jacob, our friend, uh, Jacob Beckett. Nice kid. Uh, he points out San Jose has the same goal differential right now, negative 21, that they had last year when they made the playoffs. My, what a, what a, what a, a difference a year makes, huh? Yeah, but I and I think you kind of nailed it uh, when you said earlier. It's not that this team is devoid of talent. I, I think that they have some really talented young players, especially uh, between Fernandez and uh, you said Lima, um, who I'm a big fan of both of those guys. Uh, I I think it just kind of goes to show that <laughs> you can get lucky, you can luck yourself into the playoffs, but I don't feel. Like there was a sense of urgency. I feel like that was the result of the playoffs was more validation than the goal differential. Does that make sense? And and even the underlying numbers liked San Jose as a team better than what um, than what they were uh, stated in the in the goal differential. Right? Like they had a positive expected goal differential, if I remember correctly. So, I mean. Goal yeah, differential I, I, can be can be a little bit right. I mean, last year they got hammered several times. Like that, that's that. That's the explanation for that. They had several very bad games. Um, this year they've had not as like many blowout, but but just not as good overall as results. And I mean, you see it go the other way too. Houston is kind of in the pile with those teams down there, and they have a plus two goal differential, and everyone around them is like at least minus ten. So it, it's a, it's a curious thing, but it, it really doesn't tell us much. Yeah, agreed. Uh, we have a second stat of the week. This is fun. Uh, this one comes from Twitter user Mike McGrew, who says LAFC may finish ahead of the Colorado Rapids on the 2017-18 aggregate table. LAFC didn't play in 2017, and that's true. <laughs> Currently, LAFC have 53 points. Um, Colorado have 57 between last year and this year. I don't really think there's any point to this other than just kind of cluck, cluck my tongue at uh, Colorado again. Like just, just. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't want. Uh, I put. I I was the one that did the script. I threw this in here. I'll totally take you know ownership of this, and it wasn't necessarily to kick Colorado, but just again, uh, realization of what LAFC has kind of done this season. I know that they're not the top team in the West, and there's definitely some. Uh, there, there's there's some holes within that team right now um, that they're still trying to kind of work together and fill and, and and build that organization. I mean, they're still in the first year. Let's not like think of them as an end product, but still as a transitionary organization uh, moving towards and having a really successful first season. Um, but it, I, I feel like we kind of because they're not where LAFC was, or excuse me, where Atlanta is, where um, you know, Bob Bradley's original team, Chicago, was winning the Shield, and it's still a really, really good season. I think we should appreciate that. Um, and also, Colorado, get your stuff together, seriously. Yeah. Oh, I'm not like, yeah, absolutely. I, Colorado deserves every bit of, of, of uh, tongue clucking they get, every bit of shaming, because this, uh, this is not good, and this has been, like, systemic for a while now. So, um Remember back when they were good that one year and they like almost won the supporter shield? What a time. 
at a time. Uh, all right. So um, that's probably the last we'll mention Colorado this season. Um, let's see. Further news. Oh, yes. Uh, we have some injuries that could affect some players that we have talked about previously. Uh, well, one we're going to talk about today, one we talked about previously. Miguel Almarone has a week-to-week injury. Um, you know, a lot of people saying that this could be a kind of a big shift here. Like, you know, that supporter shield race is still very, very close. Um, you know, and if it lingers into the playoffs, um, you know, can this really, really, is this the kind of thing that could sink a team like Atlanta? See, it's funny. Um, I thought about it two different ways. Yeah, I could probably sink them. I mean, he's, he's, (laughs) someone put out there, I think, uh, one of the New York Red Bull, uh, fans that is awesome about sending out good statistically, statistical and analytically minded tweets. Um, apologies, forgot your Twitter handle. You're awesome. Um, pointed out that Almiron was on the verge of like breaking basically every attacking uh, record um, f- on the out- short of XG um, this this season, and it's sad to see that him not go off, uh, not go off and break some of the expected assist records and some of the other expecting goal records and all that other stuff. But I think that this actually might be a good thing because I think Tata, uh, Tata, oh my goodness, uh, Tata is a really good coach. And I think sometimes he kind of stagnates himself because if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think that with him being injured, it opens up the door for him to have to fix a few things, especially when they play uh, the New York Red Bulls. And I think when they start if they were to have to play the Red Bulls without Almiron, but specifically the last two weeks of the season, they're going to play Toronto, uh, you know, at that last game of the season. I think that's going to be a really good test. And I think it gives uh, Tata uh, opportunity to kind of uh, change some things that maybe he wouldn't be uh, open to changing with a healthy Almiron. And I think that's a good, I think that could be a good thing. Hmm. Um, I mean, assuming it's just week to week, I think they'll be fine. Uh, I think they can navigate um, a game or two. If it goes longer than that, I, I do think this will be possibly very problematic. You know, one of the things that I think has been a a, a pretty um, remarkable thing about Atlanta's season is they've really been kind of spared a lot of uh, adversity through injury. They lost Nagby for um, a long period of time, but they didn't really seem to miss a beat on that too much. Uh, last Great year, Garza. right. Uh, last year, you know, they lost Martinez for large swaths of the season. And, and, uh, you know, I think as a result, you know, he only scored 20 goals or whatever it was instead of all the ones he's done this time. Um, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they deal with, like to it, to like actually like a, a, a focal point of that team, like the talisman, um, you know, like the, 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 the foundation, like that everything is built around, uh, to see if they could kind of cope with that into some difficult competition. And, uh, I think they'll probably be all right because they're Atlanta and they seem to always just be okay. So, you know, if they were to lose those, those last two games, you know, you know who would finish first and that's supporter shield race, right? Yeah. Red Bulls. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you'd be right and I'd be wrong and that's fine. And there were no consequences to that bet because there were no stakes. So I'm comfortable with that. Uh, and I mean, inter- obviously there's bragging. I mean, yeah, well, we'll obviously do the bragging. And you're you're a humble enough person to where I don't worry about it. But like for me, I mean, yeah. I'm totally gonna hold it over your head. Okay, that's fair enough. I deserve it. Um, another injury. I guess we'll probably get into this a little bit more later. David Akam has been out for the rest of the year. Uh, 
you know, I think Pico is doing just fine there. I, I, I wouldn't be too too concerned about this one. Pico, and then yeah, you have also you have uh, CJ Sapong kind of filling on the right wing. So yeah, yeah. All right, um, let's go ahead and let's get into our uh, playoff tube guys. We have two teams this week, as we do uh, every week from now until the end of the season. We're going to uh, profile in depth uh, one from the East, one from the West teams that will likely be making the playoffs. Uh, this is the first week where we've got some actual chances they might not make the playoffs, I believe. Um, let's start in the West this week. Let's start with our friend Drew's favorite team, Portland Timbers. Uh, Portland Timbers have a 99% chance of making the playoffs. Pretty good. 2.4% uh, chance at the number two seed. 14.1% at the number three seed. 62.1% chance for the number four seed. 16.3% for the number five seed. And 4.1% for the number six seed. And only a 2.4% chance uh, at a first round bye. They have two games left. Uh, they will be hosting Real Salt Lake, uh, whom they just uh, just really, really beat pretty bad. And uh, they will uh, go visit Vancouver. So not, not a bad way to end the season there. Um, now, uh, Portland's been an interesting case this year. We've talked about this uh, off air before. Um, you know, I don't think that there is... I, I hope that, that people will understand that switching from a coach that you had like Caleb Porter to Giovanni Savarese and then managing to, you know, still be as consistently competent as they were. Um, you know, they went on that really nice unbeaten streak in the middle of the year. Um, they've had some, you know, some so, some periods of, 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 of fallowness, to be sure. Um, but, but to come in here and to, to get a four seed in the playoffs, I think that's a, a very good job uh, for, for a first-year coach. You know, I feel like because they went on that 15-game unbeaten streak, Savarese gets judged more harshly. Um, and, and, yeah, there was a stretch of, I think it was pointed out by uh, uh, Chris Reif, they, they went 11 points in 11 games or something like that, which, I mean, it's like equally bad, right? Uh, so I, I can understand the scrutiny under that, uh, under those circumstances. But at the same time, I think that you have a coach that is still trying to figure out um, what is his team best at. And I don't think you can figure that out very quickly. And I think personally, this team is still configured for uh, a Caleb Porter-esque uh, type coach. And I don't think Severice is really still put his and I know that he's had basically like a window transfer window and a half so maybe he hasn't fully got his uh his stamp on this product just yet true so you kind of is that is that a Portland um general manager perspective or is that a Portland coach perspective um keeping in mind that you know I think all of Caleb Porter's assistants kind of stayed behind uh, with Savarese. Um, I could be wrong about that, but anyways, moving on, the, the things that kind of pop up into my mind with Savarese is he's used the most formations out of any team that we've talked about so far. So, you know, we've talked about New York's, uh, we've talked about the Atlanta's, we've talked about, you know, LAFC, SKC, Dallas, and Portland, who has the highest percentage right now, and the next highest percentage to get in the playoffs is got this just cluster of different formations. They've used the 4-2-3-1 most pr uh, 
or excuse me, the four three two one, the Christmas tree formation, the most. But then they've also used a three five two. They've also gone with the four two three one. They've gone the four four two. Um, they've done a couple different three back scenario, uh, other three back scenarios. They've done a couple of four one one. They've done this four one two one. It's just crazy. All the different formations, just like going through this season and just kind of like sifting it out. It kind of feels like this. Um, eh, um, I feel like I'm going to be making a bad reference, but it feels like I'm going through hoarders and there's like this pile of old records that I'm trying to like go through. And it's not, there's like not one genre, right? There's like just a, a ton of different, you have like Metallica and then John Denver. And then, you know, you have all these different things that you're trying to sift through and you're trying to like, well, who is this person? <laughs> who is who is the person that lives here? Because this is really, I don't understand this. And that's kind of how I feel most people are looking at the formations with uh, Savarisi. I mean, uh, Drew even mentioned on Twitter the fact that sometimes it's frustrating from a fan perspective because it's seemingly that he plays for draws on the uh, at home uh, and then away on the road, he's trying for wins. And it feels like that should be swapped. Um, and I can't speak to those specific moments because I don't know necessarily what that's about, but just like looking at this holistically, Portland has some really good players. And I think personally, just big 10,000 foot view, I feel like Savarisi's tried to figure out what best optimizes those two players, Diego Valeri and Sebastian Blanco. Those are the two players that you have to make tick. And if you can get those two guys on, the rest of those nine players are about supporting and up and pushing those players up into better opportunities. And I think that in and of itself makes the team better. I would add to that, I think that Diego Chara is a, is a very key component to um, Whatever it is, like that system that kind of makes that take. I think I think he's up there with Blanco or Blanco, excuse me, and Valeri. Um, you know, in terms of, of, of pillars on this team, uh, and it's definitely interesting to see that someone else we would have considered to be that Fernando Adi uh, was just shown the door in the middle of the season. After like, like time and time again of saying, "No, oh, we're you not going to get rid of him. We're going to hold on to him. He's the guy." Yeah, that's uh, a good impression I, of the, the Portland Sibbers on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's a, like that. I, I, one specific <laughs> person, you know, that you can kind of feel me uh, channeling. Yes. But yeah, Armenteros has been kind of kind of interesting. I don't think it's quite fair uh, to to pin everything on him. Although I do think that it it speaks volumes that he's has a very average uh, underlying xG per game. Uh, I think it's like point three seven. What I, is what I looked it up today. But he's he. I mean, he's producing over that. So I mean, at a, at the other side of it, it's like, kind of like, well, you know, he's doing better than what his underlying numbers show. So it's kind of hard to like, and even splitting the season into halves in the first half of July and the second half of or the first half of the season from March to July and then July to now. You, you can see that he's even taken a step further in that. Uh, but that being said, there's the opportunities that are opening up for um, Jeremy Ibabose that is, I mean, absolutely warranted. He should be getting minutes, and maybe not all of the minutes, but he should be challenging uh, a player that's just kind of putting up an average XG. 
I don't hate this as much as what I feel like some uh, Portland fans are kind of making it out to be. Yeah, I think there was the sense that uh, the Audi move uh, had a lot to do with Armenteros, and I, I think you've kind of hinted at it. I think it actually probably had more to do with Iba Vise, um being that guy that they thought they could put some minutes on to have like a solid one and a solid number two kind of in that position. Um, and yeah, like, you know, we like young players. We always talk about that here. So it's exciting to see young guys, especially talented ones, which I do believe Ivo <clears throat> BC has shown himself to be, um, you know, finally get their minutes. And thus far, uh, you know, he's kind of repaid that faith a bit. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's shown a, the, a lot of the underlying numbers that we have are really, I mean, you're, we're talking about sample size, but in those sample size, he seems really efficient in, in what he's been able to do so far. So I, I would like to see him continue to push. And I think, uh, you know, if Armenteros is ultimately the guy that comes off your bench in the 75th minute, um, that that can maybe either be pushed out wide and, you know, cut inside or even play up top, that's not a bad thing. And, and in fact, honestly, I think that it gives Portland some uh, a little bit of helium, kind of, uh, as far as what their expectations might be. I mean, if they're, if they're tied 2-2 in a match and you're bringing on Armenteros, I, don't, I feel like that's a good thing. I feel like that could be a thing that really propels a team forward. Uh, and maybe I'm just kind of being a little bit kind here. Uh, <laughs> maybe you disagree with that, but uh, I think ultimately that's that's a really key piece that you can bring off your bench. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, a lot of people would love to have that kind of uh, option, you know, just to come on as like a tactical um, surprise or just like to put additional pressure forward or, you know, bigger numbers in the box. You know, he, he's, he's a good-sized target. Um, yeah, no, that that's certainly a position where... Uh, you know, looking back at things like going forward in the future, I think people will kind of see that Audi move as like a little odd timing, but probably the best thing going forward for the franchise. I, I think the one thing that I would question is whether or not the return, it, it, what are they going to do with that return? Because they got a lot of TAM and they got a lot of allocation money in general uh, for him. So what are they going to leverage that into? And I think that the question really is, is um, what is this? team going to be um, now that Audi's going, now that Valeri and Chara are kind of getting up in age and they're kind of leaving their prime, you know, is it going to be, you know, Sebastian Blanco's team, uh, you know, who, Ibobose, is he going to be the guy along with, you know, um, who they, they who they brought, they brought back Lucas Milano, um, you know, how much is he going to play into this? I f still don't feel like we have a very good idea of, you know, whether or not Lucas Milano is whatever. I have no idea whether or not he's a good player, a bad player. I, I feel like there's so much conjecture and there's so much uh, just noise with that. I, I have no idea. I, could, I couldn't I could tell you whether or not he's a good player or a bad he's, player. He's a player saddled with some narrative that he's going to have to he's going to have to shed I agree. Uh, before he uh, worms his way back into the good graces of uh, Portland fans and, you know, media. Uh, yeah, also, I mean, you know, like, you look at this team and you kind of see uh, signings that kind of came in this year, like uh, Polo, um, Paredes, Andres Flores, uh, Cascante. Like, I feel like there was like a lot of churn uh, at the beginning of the season. And one thing I would say that I, I think that we, I think it's fair, is that it, Portland has been a team that, it, along with the formations, have also just kind of rotated personnel an awful lot, too. 
Oh yeah, I think they've also been trying to figure out like who who goes where. Yeah, and not just that, but uh, again, who may, how do you get Chara, Blanco, and Valeri going all at the same time? How do you optimize them? And so you kind of take those pieces, uh, Cassante, who I, I thought was going to be kind of uh, paired with um, Chara in the midfield. I kind of didn't know what was going on with uh David Guzman, who I, I still don't even really understand what's going on with him, whether he seems like he's out of favor. And the general feeling that I get from the uh, from Portland fans are that it, he's just he's not as good as Chara, which it's a okay. hard thing. To, yeah, it's a hard thing to be. I thought it was very good last year. Um, I did you know, as well. He I, was I, hurt for a long time this year, and I just don't think that he ever fully got back. I think you're starting to see him more, get more starts now. But I think there was a period after that injury where he still just hadn't quite, you know, Portland was in the middle of that unbeaten streak. And I think they didn't want to like mess with things too, too much. And I, I think he might've just gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit, but, but uh, yeah, I, I'm surprised to hear that most Portland fans don't, don't, don't value him. And, and I don't want to, I'm not, please, yeah. I, I hope I'm not talking for Portland fans in general. It's just my perception, right? Like I live in within the, the, bubble that I live in and so what I see on Twitter is what I try to feel like I have a pretty even keeled perspective uh but you know that's that's what I I hear um Flores uh, Flores was average I mean was lukewarm uh Andy Polo felt like he got played out of position for the majority of the season kind of felt like he was like some sort of uh this player that kind of tucked in as an eight but had the responsibility of kind of floating out wide and providing width from time to time but also um having some defensive responsibilities to kind of tuck in behind Alvis Powell while Powell got forward or while uh Zarek Valentin got forward and, and Zarek Valentin's kind of had an interesting um good season question mark yeah I think he's kind of come in and, and, and done very, very well and made that spot, you know. Um, you know, he's kind of been sharing it with, with Powell a little bit, but I, I don't think that that was a guy that I think anybody would have said we expect to get as much out of him as we did this year. Speaking of which, Bill Tulioma. I I, th- I I I liked him during his time. I you know he did, he's had like six hundred minutes, but I thought he he's been a solid uh, like number three, number four center back. Like that's way to just like randomly hit on i i think a pretty solid uh center back to just have in your depth yeah that's kind of <clears throat> that's kind of a hard position to buy uh finding a guy that will be happy uh with those kind of minutes and, and would be good enough that, that, that he won't be a, a such a huge liability when brought in but but i think portland did pretty good there with with, with him well and that's been that's been one of the the source box for portland over the past you know four or five seasons I feel like has been that back line they're constantly seem to try to fix it and I think between you know Olam and uh between uh Mialba and Cassante and now uh Tioma uh it it, it feels and I didn't I actively tried not to reference Ridgewell yeah that's fair he doesn't deserve it uh all right let's look at Portland uh statistically this year kind of overall uh, Possession-wise, 48%, so not, um, you know, a little under 50, but this is kind of where most teams are going to be. Um, expected passing uh, for, they were 10th in MLS. Expected passing against, they were 23rd in MLS. 
Uh, they were ninth in MLS with 48.7 expected goals for. They were 12th best in MLS with 46.2 goals against, and that is a expected goal difference of 2.5, which is good enough for 11th in MLS. And, I, you know, honestly, I think that's right about where I might put them. Yeah, so uh, we t- kind of talked about uh, two sets of tiers last week. We talked about the, I don't know, like the New York Red Bulls and Atlanta being in Tier 1, and then you're going to have, you know, like the number two tier, which fe- re- uh, features kind of NYC, Sporting Kansas City, maybe Columbus is in there. Uh, and then there's this other tier that is uh, just an amalgamation of kind of the rest of these teams pushing forward. I mean, you have Dallas. I definitely put Portland in there. Um, just, again, I feel like Portland has a little bit of helium to where they're at times when they're really good. They're going to be really good. And then there's sort of times that they're just going to be really exposed. And I feel like... Um, there's just this wide gap in what you're going to get out. Yeah, oh, they've absolutely been abject at times, and, and they've also been um, very pragmatic at times in ways they weren't, I think, in the past. So um, you're definitely going to... I think you see that reflected in the record in these, uh, you know, 11th in goal difference, uh, you know, 12th in goals against. Like, these are very middle-of-the-roads, you know, kind of areas. And I, I just... I I think it's a very honest place in Portland, like, kind of right there, like, firmly in the middle of the league right now. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. There, that's that's a good, yeah, good placement right. for him. Let's look individually. Uh, obviously, top expected goals: Diego Valeri, twelve point two xG, twelfth in Major League Soccer. Uh, top expected goals assisted: also Diego Valeri, nine point six, and that is second in Major League Soccer. Uh, top expected billups: Sebastian Blanco, twenty one point one four. That's twentieth in the league. And the best ex passers: Eric Valentin, sixty one point nine, fourteenth in the league. Um, another good year for Diego Valeri, obviously. Uh, I don't think that he quite um, hit the same heights that he hit last year in that MVP campaign. I think it would be very difficult to ask him to um, do that regularly. But um, certainly as Portland's kind of uh, fortunes go, it, it seems to be wherever Diego Valeri's fortunes go as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's... <sighs> It's kind of frustrating because on on one side, you see this amazing player that is Diego Valeri, and you think, man, if you just add three or four pieces, that is a team that will continually fight for MLS Cup. And then you see kind of what Portland is, and... And this is no disrespect to the team. I think that they are actively trying to get better. Uh, I don't think it's due to apathy, but sometimes it kind of feels like, well, we do have Diego Valeri. Like he's ultimately the plan B, right? Like he's plan A, plan B, plan C, and we'll figure it out if we have to go further. And I, I feel like that's kind of unfair to Valeri. And to be all honest, I mean, you talked about it's unfair to expect him to have as good a season as he had last year. The reality is while he didn't score 21 goals, he has more expected goals plus expected assists this year than he had last year. His underlying numbers are very competitive with what they were last year. He's just... um, in the different categories across the board, um, right? I mean, like that's what I'm saying. Like he he can play the same, but it's 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 unnecessary to like. I think it's unrealistic to ex- expect him to hit that high over his expected goals mark every year. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I, th- you know how I feel about that in general, so I won't go down that road. But <laughs> Larry's been been excellent. I mean, and I, yeah, it's it it feels kind of like at, you see you said it best. Uh, how goes Valeri has how goes Portland uh, because ultimately he's he's their guiding candle. Yeah. Now he does have a bit of a sidekick. Now we've talked about this in Sebastian Blanca, who's two years younger, um, likely going to be around a little bit longer. I think uh, certainly someone they really really like there in Portland a lot. Um, you know, and I think that they're also kind of using this time. They they might be looking at Valeri and going, oh, we got maybe two years left of Diego Valeri, like at best. Um, you know, it, now would be a good time to kind of start transitioning um, into that future role. And hopefully that's something that they can do. And I, I think that they've brought in some interesting young players. And I, I think that, that that's something that they are actively looking to do so that they don't just wake up one day and go like, oh, man, now what? So um, certainly uh, it's been a very, very good uh, season again from him and from Blanco. And uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and let's let, let's let's sum this up real quick. Let's get, get to the get to the, 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 the heart of the matter. Can you give me one reason why the Portland Timbers will not make MLS Cup? I mean, really simply, uh, they just don't have the team to do it. Uh, I, I feel like this is kind of my argument for most teams in general is, you know, with Sporting Kansas City, uh, they're a really good team. New York Red Bulls, this is they're a really good team. Um, LAFC, when they come together and, and they f- f- function as a team, they're really good. Portland relies so much on Diego Valeri to get hot and be sustained. I, I don't, I, I, I don't have a bone in me that that can bet on one player being hot for four weeks, five weeks. Um, it, it's just, it's such an, it, it's such a bad, it's a bad bet. And if there was a reason why they were not going to get to MLS Cup, it's that Diego Valeri can't be amazing every week. And um, and don't misunderstand me. He's extremely he's he's arguably one of the top five players of this league. He's uh, the reigning MVP. He's having a better underlying number than what he had last year. Again, think the world of him. I don't think that you can continually just... This isn't the NBA. You can't just give the ball to LeBron every single time and expect it's going to... Valeri can't will the Timbers into um, into an MLS Cup. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, I would say probably the same thing. I just don't think the team's quite there this year. Um, yeah, for the reasons you mentioned as well. I mean, it's hard to... Uh, it's not that I think they're a bad team. They're just like so much worse than anybody else in the West. It's just, yeah, I don't see this team as like being quite complete enough to do it. Uh, but let's be more optimistic for the Portland fans up there. And I know that, that you are legion. You are many. Um, <clears throat> can you give me a reason why they will make the MLS Cup final? They have two other players that are extremely good. Diego Chara, and then you have Sebastian Blanco, who you mentioned has kind of been the sidekick to Diego Valeri this year, who, who are just, who can help Diego Valeri turn the tide of any game. And then you throw in the fact that maybe Andy Polo starts being used out wide, where internationally he's more accustomed to and has in the past been shown to have the talents that kind of accentuate that role. Jeremy Ibobose is 
man, he's, he's so talented. We see it in these individual moments. He consistently gets there. That back line just can stave off and live through enough uh, hits. It can reflect uh, enough of that, uh, that direct damage to where it can sustain four or five games. And, and look, to win MLS Cup, you don't have to not lose. Um, you just don't have to be beaten over a two-game stretch. Now, it's very likely they're going to have to win out uh, a win-or-go-home game. But outside of that, they're, they're going to have two legs. And, you know, I think, I think Savarese is a smart enough coach to understand the intricacies of a single game and to stack his team to play accordingly to that game. And I think that's really important with the MLS. We see time and time again, you know, really experienced coach, good coaches, uh, Oscar Preha, you know, uh, Ben Olson, who are solid coaches, but they don't have the individual wherewithal to realize they need to change something that works on a on a frequent basis for a single game. And, you know, um, I think that that's, I, I think Savarisi can do that. I think he has uh, the gall and the wherewithal to, to do that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would agree. I, I guess what I would say to, to for the reasons why I, I could see them do it is I think that if they get to any two-leg series, I think Portland can win any match against any team at home. I think they've shown that they're very, very good there. I think that place can be very unfriendly um, for opposing teams to come visit. And I think that I kind of, <clears throat> well, I agree with you that it's going to have lots to do. I think Diego Valeri can put a team on his back for four or five weeks. I think he's done it in the past, and I think he, if he does it again, if he starts hitting that like lights out for me hit last year where he was scoring every week for like three months, um, you know, they could. They, there's enough. I don't think the gap in the West is so bad that they couldn't overcome it with a few great matches. So, <clears throat> yeah, uh, certainly yeah. I'm not counting anybody out in that division. I, that'll be a constant refrain uh, as we continue to talk about West Coast teams. That really is a very open field, I think. Um, so I, I, I think we'd be remiss to count Portland out of it there. Um, all right, East Coast, Philadelphia Union. Something happened this year, Harrison, with the Philadelphia Union. I don't know what it was. I don't know when know. exactly it happened. They became a team that people liked and respected. That <laughs> wasn't a thing that happened before. I don't know about before. respect. I think you guys need to go a little bit at it. <clears throat> no, no, no. I, I think Philadelphia Union have been placed in a very, very favorable light, uh, portrayed in the media in a very favorable light over the last few uh, weeks, a um, uh, month or so even. Um, you know, I think that you're starting to see uh, uh, maybe a franchise uh, blossom a bit. I... They, you know, they lost that U.S. Open Cup final. I think that could have... Could have, could have broke bad for a lot of teams, but, but here they are. Uh, they have a 100% chance of making the playoffs. They're in. They have a 19% chance at the three seed, a 46% chance at, uh, 46% chance at the four seed, 33% chance at the five seed, 2% chance at the six seed. They have two games remaining. Uh, they are hosting New York Red Bulls. Not an easy game. And they are visiting New York City Football Club. Also not an easy game. So probably we're looking at that four seed, I'd say. Um yeah, uh, what it kind of when I say like the Philadelphia Union Harrison, like what what would you kind of say about their, their 2018 campaign? I'd say it's a, a combination of steadiness and uh, luck uh, to a degree. Um, look, Jim 
curtain for for as much as everybody throws at uh, throws garbage at Giovanni Savarisi for for being wild and experimenting, going up and down, left and right, and being all over the place. Jim Curtin has done this has done the same thing pretty much all year. Like this, he has a four two three one that he's used twenty according to MLS Soccer has used twenty nine different times, and then the times that he's not done a four two three one. He's done a four three three, so they're just like small changes. And now, you know, one of my things about that about Savarisi is I feel like he can definitely, um, you know, adapt and change. Jim Curtin, I do worry about with this team, and I think that that's, you know, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit. But he's very, he's found what works. He's going to kind of lean on a couple players. He might change out a few here and there. But I mean, the, they've largely found what works. They they've tr- finally put all that trust in Keegan Rosenberry. They've put uh, Andre uh, Alejandro Bedoya into a spot that really is just a cu- custom fit for his skills, right? Um, they they've given the keys to the kingdom to a couple of young center backs and said, "We really don't care about age at this point in time. You're talented enough." And by darn, you're going to be good too. Um, you know, it, they just kind of gave it over. They showed trust in CJ Sapong, even when, you know, things weren't necessarily falling the way it should. Um, and when that they finally had to make a switch, they turned it over to Corey Burke, who, uh, let's face it, Corey Burke, Burke is kind of CJ Sapong. Uh, part two <laughs> in a lot of different ways. They're both really physically gifted uh, strikers um, that are very, bo- both really intelligent in um, how they make their runs. And maybe they're not the most technically gifted players. They're still both, um, they're still both able to strong arm center, most center backs in this league to get that goal. And then, uh, you know, Borak Doshko has just been, everything that they could have asked for. Um, they really nailed that signing. They had to. That, to me, is where this went from being a team on the cusp of being a play- MLS playoff team and a team that's headed towards that Portland Timbers-esque. Um, we might just be able to upset and create some havoc for some teams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, certainly, it's been... Um... A culmination, I think, in a lot of things. And we've seen a lot of players really step up into this forefront this year, and that's that's the thing. I think Bedoya has been uh, undervalued by many people, myself included, in the past. But I think this year he really took it. Um, I think he he made a, a big kind of step forward here for this team. Um, you know, uh, Dwight Chal, as you said, has been been fantastic for them. Uh, I'm loving uh, what I see from Fafa Pico. Um, he's been very very hot in the last few weeks, but certainly was a looked like he was going to be kind of a fringe player. Uh, and now, um, you know, has become like a major force on their offense when he's in there. Uh, certainly, Sapong has been moved around a little bit, uh, but the Koi Burke is just also just a great. And it just seems like every time Philadelphia has a problem, they can just go look to their youth and find an answer. And that's really, really cool. And even if it's not the perfect answer at this moment, it will be in the future. And so this is just a really fun and exciting team to kind of look at and see. And uh, I think that there are no real expectations for them going forward in the playoffs. And that's what makes them really interesting to me is because they just they've got nothing to lose. They got some kids like they could just surprise people just because. 
And I think you nailed it right there. They've they have a lot of depth, not just on their first team, but all the way down into their uh, USL team. I mean, they, they've pulled up guys from their US USL team. I mean, they have Jack Elliott on the bench. Uh, the, you know, they who they rotate with Mark McKenzie. I mean, what MLS team wouldn't give their right arm to you know what MLS GM wouldn't give his right arm to have both like basically throw those two players at their coach and be like, Hey, you get to pick one this week. Um, you know, it's, it's great. And then on top of that, you know, Fafa has definitely worked out and he's been brilliant, but he had huge question marks coming into the season and David Akam was supposed to solve that. And instead David Akam kind of fell apart and sadly he's, you know, be out for the rest of the season with, you know, surgery, but you know, in, place you know Fafa has uh Fafa Picot has stepped up and been a difference maker on the outside and oh yeah they still have Ilicino to come in late in the games and he is still a difference maker they have you know Matthew Real uh out and at the left back or real um depending on uh, how you want to pronounce that who has stepped in for uh fabinho they they have marcus epps they they have so many different they just warren crevel who stepped up and did a really solid job this past uh what a week and a half ago against columbus uh in columbus where they earned a nothing nothing draw i mean that was so big especially like right after they had lost that gut-wrenching game in Houston, they're able to go and they go away and in against a team that they're basically fighting for fighting against, they got a result and not just that, but they shut them out and, and had a really good defensive game. It, it just, this is a really, really interesting team. And it's interesting because this isn't just, like Houston last year was interesting because they were young, they were attacking. Sometimes, you know, they, they had to play a little bit more defensive, but then they could get on the break and they could be exciting. This is a Philadelphia team that at times bosses games. Sure, they have some young pieces and they, they have a lot of these scrap heap type players, but they boss games. Like that, that just, that surprises me sometimes. Yeah, they certainly are capable of of, uh, of dominating teams, and uh, you know I, I don't know how well they'll be able to do that going into these playoffs. Uh, obviously, they're going to be playing. You know, if they hit that fourth seed or five, or you know, that fourth seed, you know, they're going to be playing a very good team uh, in the first round. So, um, but definitely, it's been it, it, it's just one of these teams that's exciting. It's just kind of interesting to look at, and I I can't say it enough that it, it's just like a team like this with so little expectations is one of those teams that can just kind of come out of nowhere. Um, and really surprise you. Uh, let's take a quick look at their uh, statistics for this year. Possession, 49.7%. Um, expected passing, 4. 8th uh, in the league. Expected passing against ninth in Major League Soccer. Expected goals, 4. 48.8. That's 8th best in Major League Soccer. Expected goals against, 44.2. That's ninth best in Major League Soccer, which means an expected goal difference of 4.6, which is ninth best in Major League Soccer. I honestly did not think we would be here. I did not think I would not have said that. Oh, Philadelphia is going to be a top ten team next year. No, I mean I don't think. I mean, come on, I don't think either of us called this. I mean, I think if you would have said this before the season started, you would have been. Uh, it would have been a really crazy take. I mean, look, CJ Sapong, and then take that a step further. 
say, oh, they're going to be a t- top 10 team and David Akam is going to be a total bust and yep. CJ Sapong <laughs> is going to have the worst season he's had since back in Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I always said David Akam is going to be, you know, the different. I probably did say that in our season preview. Who knows? <laughs> we'll have to go back and check. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone would have said that this would have happened without a big presence from Akam or Sapong. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it, it, that just shows just how um, much this team has come together. I think it also kind of puts puts a lot on what Bedoya uh, has and uh, Majudin, who's been just like those two in the in the central midfield have just. I don't think either one of them is a great player in and of himself. Uh, I think together they really form this fantastic and and Derek Jones even throwing him in there, another young player. Uh, they just kind of come together and make this really it, – it's like a it, – oh man, now I can't even think about it. Uh, what, are, what are the the Zords that come together? Uh, and I'm blanking on this. This is a nerd podcast. We talk about numbers you, and I can't – Are you talking about like Power Rangers? No. Oh, come on, dude. This is before Power Rangers. Power Rangers, come on. Power Rangers lifted some stuff, dude. Voltron? Voltron, there it is. What are you saying to me? Okay, Voltron, yeah, there Voltron. we go. I, okay. I, just, I, I spaced on it for a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they, I mean, they come together like Voltron, dude. They, they, they like just make this monster in the central midfield, and there's two of them that feed off each other so well. And, you know, um, yeah, it's 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 great. Yeah. Um, looking at those individual numbers a bit, uh, CJ Sapong still leading the way uh, for expected goals, 9.8. That's 20th in Major League Soccer. Um, you know, I don't know what he had last year, but I'm going to assume that's that's down. Um, it is. Top expected goals assisted. Uh, it's Brooke Deutschall, 8.3, 10th in the league. That's such a great return for a first-year player, um, especially in that. Uh, they didn't ex- play all season. Yeah, I exactly. mean, he missed the first, what, five, six games of the season? Yeah. Uh, top expected buildup, Madun um, Janine. Uh, ninth in Major League Soccer. Uh, you mentioned him earlier. I I really like this player a lot. I think he gets. I think he goes a, a very much under the radar because of who's around him and the team he's on. Um, but I think he's just like a he's he's like a snare drum. You know, he's just that constant little beat. I, I'd love to have a guy like that in any team I managed. Um, and best expected passer, Alejandro Bedoya, sixth best in MLS. Um, that's an excellent return for this guy. I think he's one of these players that because of some of his moments with the U S men's national team that weren't ideal, I think that he's personality is kind of, you know, makes people predisposed to not like him. Uh, and he's earned that, 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 that's on him. Uh, but I don't think you can, you can shake a stick at anything he's done on the pitch this season. Yeah. Look, and I've, I've called him out on some of his crap because, you know, uh, as far as being a personality within this league and, and being an, in, an individual, there's things that he said that have absolutely, as a fan, rubbed me wrong. Um, you know, he, he's yeah. not shy. Yeah. yeah. And, and But see, that's a, that's a great thing about having him in this league is that he is a lightning rod. He is not going to mince words. He's, he's going to say what's on his mind. He's going to be transparent. And uh, you know what? I think you can appreciate that, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, um, 
I guess he's not somebody I, I think of a lot of personally, but but again, I think just stuff on the pitch, you know, that's that's all we really need him to be, and that's all Philadelphia needs him to be right now. And I think for whatever reason, there's a lot of good culture in that locker room with young players, and I think somebody is being like a guiding force. So maybe behind the scenes, you know, he's a very good leader and a good veteran presence there. I really have no way of knowing. But um, all right, let's get to the let's get to the point of the matter. One reason why the Philadelphia Union won't make the MLS Cup final, Harrison. You kind of said it with Portland. I don't think, I don't know if they have that one piece. Uh, and I think that was David Akam. And even if Akam was coming off the bench, maybe that, that this point's a little bit more, uh, more stunted. But no, I think that they're missing, they might miss one piece. And I feel like they don't have, they can't have that next gear that Atlanta shifts into, that the New York Red Bull shift into. I feel like they're just, they're just short of that. They have so much talent, and I feel like they show up on a continual basis. The baseline that they are is so very good, but I feel like they miss that 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 gear shifting. And on top of that, I don't know if they're a good tournament team. And, you know, I don't know if there's data to back this up. I'd be really interested to know if, if there is some way to kind of measure this, but teams... Um, I believe you can have a good team that's not a good uh, knockout tournament type team. Uh, And the reason for that is just the ability. And we saw it in Houston. Houston made some minor changes and Philadelphia just did not have the ability to, to make the moves on the, on the fly to become, uh, to take advantage of what Houston was giving them. Houston gave them, you know, set play after set play after set play in the uh, in the attacking third, and I felt like they were well. That's not really our game. We're, we're this is what we're looking for, and they continued to try to do what they were best at. When that was obviously what Houston was going to allow anything but their ability to move a on the on the counter and b through the middle of the field. Uh, they just flat out denied that. They fouled Bedoya. They stomped uh, Madrudin out time and time again. And so instead of being able to, you know, try floating Y, try doing X, Y, Z, they just kept continuing to kind of butt their heads. And I don't know if that's on Jim Curtin. I kind of aim my issues at him, but I don't know if, you know, they, they come across New York and they come across Atlanta. I think these last two games are going to be critical to that. But I don't know if they come across these situations and they're able to say, you know what, we need to be a little bit more pragmatic here. This is what we're going to do here. I know this isn't what we've done all year, um, but here's how we're going to change this. Here's how we're going to adapt. Um, I just don't know if they're able to do that. And that would be so two different kind of things. I know you asked one question. I answered <laughs> twice. Okay. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's fine. And I, I mean, I would agree. I think more than anything, the reason I, I can't see them making the, the final is just simply the other teams that are in this bracket with them. Um, you know, if they're going to go there, they're going to have to beat one of the New York teams. They're going to have to beat Atlanta. They're going to have to beat one of those sides. And as good as they are and as good as they can be, uh, I think it would take a very favorable set of circumstances for them to beat one of those teams over two legs. Um yeah, I, that that's the only reason why I would say not. Um, but is there any reason to be optimistic, Harrison? Can you give me a reason why they will, in fact, be finalists in the Major League Soccer Cup? <sighs> CJ Sapong finally kind of morphs uh, 
into the player that he's, I mean, look, he's perpetually been somebody that under uh, performs their expected goal. I think last year was the sole upset, exception, but uh, from 2015, 2016, this season, you know, the, he's perpetually been uh, a player that just kind of runs a little streaky. And I, you know, I think it kind of starts with him and I think it goes towards the attack. I think this attack has to be on point and they certainly have moments where they can be. Uh, Corey Burke is just awesome. Um, And I don't mean to like say something and then kind of like, but, uh, but I'm going to do that. But, you know, there's games where he just kind of goes missing sometimes and he, he can't have those games. You can't go missing in the playoffs um, and this attack has to step up. Um, if this attack steps up, I think that they're going to be a solid team. I think there are defenses. Jim Curtin's defensive t- teams, I mean, that's what he prides himself. I don't worry about the Philadelphia defense. I really worry about how they're going to uh, kind of develop their attack and how good it's going to be uh, when it's there and when it's called upon. Yeah, certainly. Um yeah, this is a hard one for me to be optimistic about, I mean, as far as going all the way. And I hate that because I'm actually so positive about the team as a whole. Um, but, yeah, it, I, it would take, I think, just uh, one of those moments of just like, wow, anything can happen in soccer. Uh, you know, uh, one or two of those moments in one of these series, and, and, and they could get there. And I think if they get there, of course, um, you know, the West is, again, um, kind of an interesting place right now. And I think that Philadelphia could match up with those teams. Uh, if need be, but but it it is going to be just really difficult to get through the east side of that yeah. bracket. So, yeah, I don't. I feel like they're going to have to win some one nothing games, games yeah. plural. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you know, with gritty involved now in the city and the way that that they've taken to him, I think anything's possible here. So. No, no gritty in the city. Thang, without thang, the th or no pit, no, no pity. Yeah, so yeah. There, there's a pity and gritty joke that we can make here at yeah. the end of this podcast with Philadelphia and Portland, but like we're already five minutes over, so yeah. I know you're you're ready to be done. I will, I will, I will. If I think of it, I'll put it in post about that. Thank you. All right, uh, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to my wonderful co-host Harrison Crow. You can find him on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. You can find me on Twitter at a handle for Ian. Uh, you can follow the website. Uh, at Analysis Evolved. Lots of good tweets from that account, I hear. And uh, as always, please visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. We're going to type all the things that we talked about over these last six weeks. We're going to write them down. We're going to put them on paper for you. Uh, we're going to take that paper. We're going to put that paper on the Internet so that you can read it on your computer screens. I might not know how web publishing works. I might have gotten word wrong on that. But... Uh, that's what we're going to do uh, in the next couple of weeks. So be sure to keep an eye out for that weekly stuff from Harrison, from me, um, from uh, a lot of people talented over there at our staff. So uh, please visit whenever you get a chance. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, enjoy the soccer. <laughs>